up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Don't Give Up the Shit Podcast. This one's going to be new. Um, I've been wanting to do this for a while. Um, it's been suggested by listeners that I do something like this. And uh, some of my favorite podcasts, Sun Leadership Development, do something very similar. And uh, it's something that I want to do because I really enjoy reading. And it's something that I, I want to prioritize more. So I feel like I feel like if I paint myself into this corner on purpose, I can um, create an expectation that I do these podcasts and then I'll read more because I have to to do these podcasts. And the, some of my favorite ones are like the heritage ones when I do I, I get to do the research uh, into a lot of the history and stuff like that, where, where from this angle, I get to explore a viewpoint on leadership in general and uh, kind of dive into a book and explore the concepts that are in it. And I got really excited when I got to do the um, Blue Jackets manual article from, I did a whole podcast on that, um, about a short, a short talk with Chief Petty Officers, the one from the, uh, it was like an early 1900s Blue Jacket manual. I can't, the one I read it out of was a different year than the one that was in the Teaching of the Creed stuff, but... Um, just doing that where I got, I read through it and as I went through it, I kind of stopped at points and did commentary on those things and kind of maybe expanded on it or translated it or whatever. And that was really fun for me too. I, I really enjoyed that. And I think that that podcast got a pretty good response and based on suggestions from listeners, I just think it's, it could be a cool thing to do. Um, I think I'm going to call it something like book report. I haven't actually decided yet, but uh, I'm going to digest these books in pieces, um, and and I might draw this out over a period of time, and then condense them into a playlist. But um, I'm going to start with the first piece of this book that I've gotten through, which I believe is the f- first chapter. I might have went farther than that, but I went through and highlighted and wrote in the margins and stuff so that I could do this exact thing and. Uh, the book I'm talking about today is it's called Guidelines for the Leader and Commander. Uh, so it's going to be it's written by General Bruce C. Clark. And this is a pretty old book. That's it's a reprint that I got my hands on. And I guess it was pretty difficult to uh, to find. I, I don't know if it was just out of print or what, but it's copyrighted in 1963. But I'm pretty sure it got written even earlier than that. Um, but the 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 general the the way that he writes about it and and I'll try to translate a little bit of this because there's some a lot of army army terminology in here but um he's a really clearly a really passionate leader of men and this book was a pocket guide in the Vietnam War there was uh, a brigade commander I believe and I I probably am screwing that up but, but uh, Colonel David Hackworth who I've mentioned before wrote a book called About Face and um. It's a it's something that I've listened to a bunch of podcasts and dialogue on. I've I've listened to most of the audiobook and then eventually I the book is a monster. It's huge. <laughs> so eventually I'm going to go through read the highlight um, and probably do a million podcasts on it because it's a gigantic book. But um, this was something that Colonel Hackworth had all of his officers and commanders uh, carry around in their pocket. Um, and he even he's even quoted on the cover of the reprint that says the finest little handbook on leadership and training ever written. So high praise. Um, th- I'm going to I'm going to start um, with 
the first chapter, but there's some cool stuff at the very beginning where there's a dedication and it's dedicated. The book is dedicated by the author to the ground combat soldier. Um, and a couple of my favorite lines, like it's a great little dedication, but, um, some of the best lines that I highlighted at one of them is he is the private citizen under arms, the clenched fist of his people. That lot, just the second half, the cl- that just referring to military members and the armed forces as a whole, as the clenched fist of their people is that's like the best line ever. Uh, I just really, it was such a great expression of uh, kind of what, the military is to the country uh, that it's loyal to. And then another one was only when men from all of the people are willing and ready to fight and die for freedom. Does freedom have meaning for them? That one I really like because uh, the world we live in today is interesting and I don't ever want to get political on this podcast, but there's some weird things happening in the world. And, and just speaking about it vaguely, or like generally is like there's a lot of people on from from every side or team or whatever ideology that that uh, they subscribe to that want to impose their will on the other group. Right. And basically dictate to them what freedom's going to look like. And to me, anybody that's capable of dictating to someone what their freedom's going to look like doesn't really value and understand freedom in the way that they that they need to. And I think a, a large part of that has to do with people not understanding what it really means to be willing to fight and die for their freedom because most people aren't (laughs) or if they were backed into a corner probably yeah probably hopefully but most people aren't volunteering to join the military right there's a very small percentage of the american population that's doing it and some it's because they're medically ineligible blah 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 but my point is (laughs) that uh there's a rare group of people that that are and that act on that instinct and serve in the armed forces. Um, but for the people that, that don't and aren't willing to fight and die for freedom, it like, I liked that line a lot because it, it hit home in that regard, just based on some wild things that I see in the world where people are proposing ideas or, or pushing ideologies or whatever, where whatever they believe, right. And I'm not, I don't subscribe to any one of these ideologies. I'm pretty all over the place. Um, but it's it's no one's right to dictate the terms of of someone else's freedom and that's it kind of i like that line quite a bit uh so starting out at the beginning there's there's a section i'm going to skip over in chapter one where uh it's it's he poses the question uh how often have we heard an officer say i do anything to get a command and then he goes through this like 20 questions list of like do you really want a command And I'm skipping over that only because this is I'm speaking more generally about leadership and not specifically about command and command in the army and some of the some of the other armed forces. It it happens a lot earlier in an officer's career progression where like in the Navy, they're division officers and a division officer like I, I mean, a lot less responsibility and there's a lot less gravity to the decisions they make. Not that it can't be serious and not that there aren't. I, I'm sure there are officers like, you know, Naval Special Warfare or whatever that at a more junior level are in types of positions, much like the other uh, services. But like in the army, you're taking command as like 
I think a captain is generally when they take command. I think the Marine Corps might even be earlier than that, like real early, like division officer level early, taking like platoon commander positions and stuff. So like they get a, a lot more or I mean, it's different, but I, I would I would say it's a lot more responsibility a lot earlier. Uh, and so that's the kind of stuff that that those questions are addressing. So I'm going to kind of hop over that uh, and get into the page three is it, the question posed at the top is what does the soldier expect from his commander? And uh, I will do my best to obviously this was written forever ago. So the pronouns are going to be not inclusive and I apologize for that, but uh, and I'll try to do, I try to make them neutral <laughs> just be not because like it's, you know, again, I'm a not political human in a lot of regards and it definitely won't spill on this podcast, but it's the uh, inclusive because there are women serving in the military and then soon there will be transgender serving in the military. But it's like, I want to un- understand that like, there are women serving on submarines, women serving on ships, women serving on uh, like with CBU. They're everywhere. And and I want to understand that the leadership lessons in this apply to everyone. But having dealt with the prerequisites of command, which is what I just skipped over, I offer these thoughts on what soldiers look for in their commanders, regardless of the branch or service. So that's applies to everybody. Honest, just and fair treatment. I, I love it. And. and it's something that I think we talk about a lot on this podcast. I think uh, it, it says so like people admire a strict officer uh, if they are also just. And that's the point being that like sailors want to be pushed. Military members want to be pushed. I, I've, I've often defaulted back to the concept of nobody shows up to work wanting to suck. I don't care where they're from or why they join the military. Nobody does it because they they want to be bad at it. And I don't think anybody does anything with the intent of sucking at it. Um, a lot of times you get beat down and, and like just bitter and jaded and demoralized and demotivated and, and people can being human beings are eventually going to get to a breaking point where it's going to appear that they show up wanting to do a bad job or they're just like, there's some kind of like malicious intent in their lack of effort or application of, of standards or anything, or like adherence to standards. But I think that it takes a long time for somebody to get there, or there's some kind of underlying need that that, that person has that's not being met. But I think generally, if you treat any group of human beings with honesty and it, and fair treatment, and it's just, it's going to resonate and they're going to like, trust you more it's going to build trust they're going to buy in and you're going to see a lot more output from that group of people because they want to work for you they don't want to perform poorly and they want to be pushed they want to be trained they like they want to go hard and they want to do well and they want to accomplish the mission they want to accomplish the crap out of the mission and they want everybody to know that they accomplished the bejesus out of the mission so when they're treated honestly, justly, and fairly, you will see that uh, they'll be okay with a leader that is strict, that has high standards, pushes them hard, but also takes very good care of them. Uh, also, when accountability is necessary, it's it's just and fair, and it takes into account all of the tertiary impact of the decisions being made like the best commanders I've ever had and I and I honestly haven't met one even though I'm sure somebody out there could relay a story to me about one that exists but I've never met a commander who 
when I've had the opportunity to be standing there or talk to them prior or be in the room, that prior to an NJP, they or an Article 15 for those that aren't in the Navy, um, that they haven't like I mean, they're wrestling with it and they didn't sleep the night before and they are going back and forth and asking us questions to make sure they have all the information like they're really grappling with the decision and it really pains them because they don't want to hurt anybody that that like they don't want to hurt the sailors that they're trusted with leading. But at the same time, they understand that there needs to be accountability. So like and and just and fair treatment isn't just for the individual. It's for the unit as a whole. Right. So you can't let people get away with violating standards or doing something that endangers the mission or the unit or the people in it or the equipment or whatever. You can't let them get away with it because that harms the other people in the unit. So it's like there's this balancing act of the the person that actually is on the accountability timeline now and we're going we're stepping through the process and and figuring out how we're going to hold that person accountable you also have to consider that if you don't apply appropriate accountability and you don't do a good job of that not only are the the unit members going to get upset because the accountability wasn't just and fair in that they didn't get punished for the thing they did wrong and so it, it like doesn't feel fair that they did that thing wrong but then they kind of got away with it but on the flip side of that if you drop an anvil on their head and it for a minor infraction the rest of that unit is going to be like what and they're going to get upset that's their friend that's their their uh here and they're going to look at it like well if that could happen to him it could happen to me or if that could happen to her it could happen to me so uh, that you lose trust and respect and and they're going to respond differently maybe they don't go as hard maybe they aren't going above and beyond or being creative or doing doing the things they used to do out of fear of stepping on a landmine and ending up in an, an unfair and unjust accountability process so it's it's very it's a very interesting examination when you get into cases of accountability because you'll see a lot of times, uh, for, particularly in the Navy, right? In the plan of the day, you'll see a very general statement following an NJP where they're expressing, uh, well, the E4 did this and this was their accountability, right? So you could say, and it's pretty, it's pretty general. There's not a lot of details in there. So like if a sailor gets a DUI, there's, you generally kind of think about it like a DUI is a DUI, right? I can tell you, I've done so many preliminary inquiry investigations, I've lost count, and I can tell you not a single one of them has ever been the same. And so what's important about that is that you don't know what happened outside of they got the the UCMJ article or law or, or both or, or whatever, that they're being held accountable for violating was article whatever and then or and they did they got a DUI or this they got caught by civilian police and they're being held accountable by the law outside and the UCMJ articles that are applicable but what you don't know is all of the things that led to the decision making and and the actual offense and uh, I can tell you there's been times where there are cases that it's there there's triggers in the accountability process where it's like I, I have to do certain things but that doesn't mean I want to. And so like the the process unfolds in a way where you, you're taking into account 
the unique nature of that case like the all of the from the beginning the decisions that were made the circumstances the other people involved the evidence the statements and everything and and yeah i mean two different people two days in a row might get to uis and the punishment might be different and it might be different because that commander has to make a judgment call advised by the preliminary inquiry and the chain of command and whoever else he, he consults the legal legal folks whatever um and he arrives at what he thinks or she thinks is fair and just and a lot of times you'll see the reaction of the crew based on the vague sanitized statement in the plan of the day or whatever or just you know what they hear uh in the smoke pit that they're like well that's not fair because seaman timmy got a dui and he got an anvil dropped on his head but you know seaman sarah got a dui and she didn't she like she almost like she's got a suspended bust and a and a finger wag and it's like maybe and I, I say maybe sarcastically like maybe the circumstances were different and I can guarantee the circumstances were different unless they were both driving the same car at the same time on the same night which is impossible probably I don't know maybe somebody can do it but it's you know what I mean like it's every case is unique and so the it's really important to to kind of balance all those things and and just understand that the unique nature of that being what it is that every case is different but also like you need to explain that to the crew like they instead of just letting the only thing be the uh the statement in the plan of the day it's like you need to take the time to explain to the crew hey this is what happened as much as you can because there's legal rules and everything else but you gotta take the time to let them know like hey this case was not the same as the other one and just and you can just take the time to explain it like I'm explaining it without details involved. And it will go a long way with making sure that they understand that you're being honest, just and fair. Uh, the next one that I really liked. So it's talking about consideration. Do them as mature professional soldiers or service service members. Right. And it says, regardless of age or grade, soldiers should be treated as mature individuals. They are people engaged in an honorable profession and deserve to be treated as such and what i wrote in the margins after i highlighted it was e form below so why did i write that because there was a, a period of time on a couple submarines where every time something went wrong even if it wasn't the e form below that did it it was like the knee jerk reaction was to gather E4 and below and conduct some kind of safety stand down training or conduct GMT or whatever and, or limit their liberty, that group. And it's just like I, the the most frustrating thing. I Well, I'll, not the it's it's up there, though. One of the most frustrating things I think junior sailors encounter during their first enlistment and potentially even beyond that, it, unless they promote uh, past like E6 is you kind of get treated like a child <laughs> and i've seen like older older people join and really struggle with this because just based on their rank and pay grade they're treated like they can't take care of themselves and can't be trusted i really liked this line because i find that the more responsibility generally that you trust sailors with the more they're going to respond in kind and, and like value the fact that you trust them and value the fact that you believe they can do this thing and you're not treating them like a child 
and they do the work really well and they they kind of reward you with with doing exactly what you expected of them and not taking advantage of the fact that they don't have their chief standing over their shoulder and micromanaging them or they don't have to engage in some kind of a onerous process that like takes liberty away from them or makes their job harder like i'm like i'm not layering administrative process on top of administrative process one of the most frustrating things in the world for me was when there were uh work controls violations so like tag out violations and the response was to add even more administrative processes and permission like there was more permissions required and more supervision required when it's like one mistake was made and a lot of times that mistake was caught by the process that existed not by oops a valve was open you know like and hydraulic fluid went where it wasn't supposed to or high pressure air went where it wasn't supposed to it's just like somebody the second checker goes to the tag realizes the first checker forgot to sign it that's the process working and yeah maybe do a little training with the the sailor that first checked like hung and and first checked the the tag but it's like i mean the process worked and so i don't need to like weigh every single other person on the ship down with more administrative processes and more permission required. So like now they're waiting around more because those people only have so much bandwidth. So now work's delayed. So now they're standing around having their time wasted, being treated like children that need supervision when it's like, and I most like 99.9% of the people that are doing the the work that involves work controls are sitting there throwing their hands up. Like I didn't have a tag out violation. So what, like, why do I have to go through all this pain? And that's one of the the group punishment concepts as well that I really hate. It's like treat them regardless of age or grade, like they're mature individuals because they're doing an honorable profession. They're engaged in an honorable profession and deserve to be treated as such. I a hundred percent agree and, and the only time I would dissent from that is when they demonstrate through through repeated action that they can't be treated that way. You know, like that they require that individual requires that supervision or that level of accountability processes or, or filters or whatever to make sure that they're coloring inside the lines like there might be somebody that needs you standing over their shoulder and that's OK. It's just like we shouldn't default to that and we especially should not default to treating everyone that like that because one person needs that kind of attention. And I'm not I don't even view it as negative that they require that kind of attention. Like I I had a sailor that um, I taught I've talked about before on the podcast that we got him to a place like his ceiling was lower. He had a, a much harder time grasping concepts, was never taught a work ethic, was never held accountable. He was just he wasn't a bad guy. He just needed to be taught things he was never taught. And that the accountability the division was exercising before I got there was all negative. And so it just beat the kid down even more. So we pulled him out of that, got him back into the into the group environment, like accepted him back in, pushed him, motivated him, trained him, qualified him. And it's he still required supervision. Like I had my first class work nights with him because he needed the safety net. He could do it like he could he could do the same trampeze act. This is going to be a bad metaphor. He can do the same like high wire act that my other qualified galley watch captains could do. He just needed a safety net and they didn't. And that that was the only real difference. Like there was times where he needed that net to save him. But then he got right back up there and started going again. And 
it's there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. Like, do I want and expect him to mature beyond that at some point? Yes. But this is a first term sailor like showed up when he was 18. He's never had a job in his life. He's never been taught a work ethic. He's never had to earn anything. He's never worked hard. He's never been held accountable. So he needs to be taught all those things. And it takes a lot of time to do that. And he needs the team behind him in order to do that. And I extremely thankful to say that it happened. He came around and, and when he left, he wasn't a hundred percent matured yet. He went to shore duty and I'm hoping that that process is, has continued where he's maturing and being able to do certain things on his own and realizing that he does have the skill level and level of knowledge and ability to do those things without the net. Um, that wasn't that bad of an analogy, was it? <laughs> and then, uh, but yeah, I, I really, I really, really love that. Treat them like they're grownups. Talk to them like they're grownups because they're doing a thing that the gravity of the situation, that like the thing that they're doing, they deserve it. They've earned it. They merit that. Um, this one was fun. So I've talked about this in relation to, to my anchors a bunch, and I'm sure I've mentioned it sort of on the podcast, but this line was pretty great. So the commander's rank should be used to serve his subordinates. It is not a reward and it is not a license to exercise idiosyncrasies. Rank has one object to enable the officer to fulfill their responsibilities. So I, I trans like think officer as chief, right? Like I really and I, I, it's for officers, too, obviously. Like, I have, I've had commanding officers that need to tattoo this on their forehead. But <laughs> the when I'm talking about, like, chiefs or senior enlisted supervisors, right, your rank exists only to serve your subordinates. That's it. The only reason that there's a higher enlisted rank is so that you can take care of your sailors, period. That's it. I will argue anybody to the death, to the metaphorical argumentative death over this concept. Your rank only exists so that you can advocate for your sailors, so that you can get them what they need, so that you can shield them from any kind of undue stress or complication to their process. Your only job as a higher ranking person is to take care of your subordinates. And I liked the way I like the way it's worded that it should be used to serve your subordinates. One of my favorite lines I write it in every single charge book entry I've ever written. Your sailors are absolutely entitled entitled to the best possible chief you have in you. That it's the price was paid already. They earned it. You owe them that. You are indebted that service to them. And if you don't believe that, you are wrong. There is no gray area or wiggle room here whatsoever. And so I, I really, really, really wish more, especially officers, but also chiefs. I wish a lot more senior enlisted supervisors, first classes, all of them, senior enlisted supervisors. If you're in any kind of any level of supervisory position from work center supervisor to like fleet commander your rank exists to serve your subordinates and obviously there's some other things in there too but at, on a grand scale when you're when you're pulling back and saying what have i actually accomplished overall the answer should be i accomplished the best possible service 
to my subordinates that I possibly could. And the reason that that is unequivocally and just like unwaveringly true is that the, the sailors are the mission, right? Like the, the sailors on the deck plates operating the equipment, standing the watches, doing the things. And that includes some junior officers standing off the deck or junior officer deck or whatever else. Those people are the ones doing it. They are fighting the ship. You are doing whatever is possible, whatever is needed, no matter what, to ensure that they're ready to do that. Whether it's training, whether it's accountability, mentorship, procuring things, fighting a fight that needs fighting. That's your job. That's your only job. And I really, really love the way that that was written. And I, it, it there's a lot of things like that that I, I, I got a lot of validation out of this book. Even just the first chapter, I was just like, the the things that this general is saying, I just it, it, and and he's saying it that it applies to the, the all of his commanders. It's it's something that I wish was taught everywhere we process officers into the Navy. I wish it was taught at the Senior Enlisted Academy. I wish. I mean, it's it. I'm sure it is in some in some iteration like it's not like this has never been said it's just in actual practical real life application there's a lot of people that (laughs) kind of lose themselves in those promotions and think it's more about them than it is about their sailors so um the next one it's the title is personal interest taken in them as individuals so this sounds familiar right uh you could call it a bunch of things just know your people intrusive leadership all those types of things But I highlighted uh, a line in this paragraph where he's expressing what that means. And it says, you must have a genuine personal interest in them or they will not have it in the in the officer. Right. So. um, This is important because the reason I liked and, and there's a lot of lines like this in this book where they're very intentionally crafted, you know, in a really great way where the the word i key in on here is genuine you must have a genuine personal interest the reason that word is so important is because there's a lot of people out there that will talk about knowing your people or or intrusive leadership or all those things and and leaders try to fake it (laughs) they try to to do it even though and part of the reason it can come off as, as disingenuous is like they're just new to it and they, it feels weird and it's not something that they normally did. They're not an extrovert. They're not comfortable prying into people's personal lives. They feel kind of weird. They they don't know how to how to straddle the line of being your friend or buddy and being your chief or being your division officer or department head. It, it, and it, it, it can be very challenging. This is one of those things that I feel like falls into the category of what people point at and be like, well, all oh, that guy's just a natural leader. And it's like, not, nah, they're just personable. Like there, there, there are people who have a way easier time straddling that line. And there's people that don't and have to really work on it. But the, the point is you have to get to a place. However you do that, and there's a lot of different ways to do it. There's a lot of variety and approach here that you can tailor to those strengths or weaknesses that I just mentioned. But you have to make sure that no matter what you do or how you do it, that those sailors understand that you genuinely care about them, that you really want to know, like, how's your wife and kids doing, that you really want to know 
what they do in their free time. I really want to hear about the Madden tournament you played this weekend, right? And it's not necessary. I do, I do like Madden, but like there's a lot, a lot of things that I'm not really into, but I've, I've found that I got, I'm really lucky in that I'm an intellectually curious person. So when I don't understand something, I, I genuinely am interested. So it kind of, it's almost like a cheat code (laughs) in this way where like when someone's talking, Hey, what'd you do this weekend? And they start talking about something that I don't know of or understand. Right. What's that? Like, how does that work? And I, I get curious and then I start asking all kinds of questions and I try to keep up and, and I try to understand it instead of just like shrugging at them and walking away or whatever, or just, giving them some really blatantly vanilla interaction and then just like and it where it's like I it feels like instead of my genuinely caring about them I'm just like checking the box where like oh this is this guy and these kids are smart man the sailors are really really intelligent and they're gonna know not just that you're not genuine but exactly what you're doing they're gonna know that the Navy is pushing you to do this. They're going to know what intrusive leadership and knowing your people is. They're going to know that those things are said during the chief season. They're going to know that that's a thing you're responsible for doing. And they're going to know that the only reason you're standing there doing it in that way is because you need to check that box to say that to yourself that you, that you did it. The problem (laughs) is that if you're not genuinely interacting with them, it's going to be pointless. And it's probably honestly going to, it, it'll be worse that you've done it instead of better. So the, the key here is you got to find ways to express to them, however that is, that you genuinely care about them. I have found in my many years of doing this that the, the best thing I can do is find, find things that we can kind of relate on and then find other things that I can be intellectually curious about. Um, and then just remembering things like, someone's daughter's name or someone's wife's name or like last time I interacted with those people that you know like Seaman Timmy's wife told me this thing and I'll be like hey how's that thing going did you finish building that piece of furniture or or whatever and those things it's like even if you're bad at the interaction even if it's tough for you to have those types of conversations and you feel like you maybe you're not expressing yourself genuinely in the way that you're communicating if you remember some seaman's wife's name and that she was recon like restoring a piece of furniture or something and then six weeks later you see her again and you ask her how it went the fact that you remembered her name that and that she was restoring a piece of furniture in her free time you just gained a, a loyal fan and that spouse is gonna tell that sailor as much right it's like you don't remember things like that if you don't care you don't take the time to learn those types of pieces of information about sailors if you're not genuine if you don't genuinely care like why would you expend that type of bandwidth so even if you feel awkward in the exchanges i'm telling you sailors are smart they're going to be able to to distill this down to does this leader care or not do they genuinely want to know the answer to the questions do they genuinely want to sit here and have a conversation with me about cars or about Dungeons and Dragons or whatever you do in your free time or are they just checking the box they're gonna know and I promise you even if you feel like you're bad at these interactions or they're awkward or whatever the sailors are gonna know that even if you show up and bumble through an awkward interaction when you walk away I promise you those sailors are gonna know whether or not you are doing it because you care or you're doing it because you're just checking the box 
So uh, moving on. So this is it's talking about instructions directly for a captain and a lieutenant. So different ranks. Um, but I, I highlighted the line in both um, where at the very beginning of what the general is, is explaining to these like lower level unit commanders. The first line for the captain is their first object should be to gain the love of their people by treating them with every possible kindness and humanity. And then for the lieutenant, the very same thing, slightly different, says they should endeavor to gain the love of their people. And then by their attention to everything, they which they may contribute to their health uh, and convenience, like do everything they can to take care of them makes and it goes i mean it goes on to in detail where it's saying everything that can contribute to their health and convenience they should visit them often at different hours inspect their manner of living see that their provisions are good and well cooked so their food um and as far as possible oblige them to take their meals at regulated hours so just that they expect to eat and they actually do and the food's good and everything else pay attention to their complaints uh, and when well-founded, endeavor to get them redressed, which is accountability, but discourage them from complaining on every frivolous occasion. So and, and it, the the captain one is even better. It's like it, it goes on it's the same kind of thing where it's the, the first object, the very top priority that uh, General Clark writes into this is that you should gain the love of your people by treating them with every possible kindness and humanity. So when you hear that line, it sounds very touchy feely, very, I don't know any Brene Brown fans out there, but it feels very like, um, very unmilitary. Like if you, like it feels counterintuitive to, to anybody that's been in the military for a long period of time. But when you're talking about good leadership, when you're talking about, the type of leadership you would want if you're being led by a leader in the military. I mean, yes, there's going to be a certain level of, of detachment. There's going to be a certain level, uh, like we talked about earlier about the fair, just and honest, right? Like there's going to be standards and I'm going to hold you accountable to the standards. However, my first object should be to gain the love of my people by treating them with every possible kindness and humanity. Because why not? Like what outside of getting unduly familiar, right? Again, it's it's a balancing act. You have to stay on the right side of that boundary. But taking the time to get and a lot of what figures into gaining the love of your people by treating them with every possible kindness and humanity. Besides what feels obvious in kindness and humanity is like the the if you if you really do any kind of research into or just like thought on what humanity is like what what people like how people are made up what do they need and i talk about that a lot and i always go back to maslow's hierarchy hierarchy of needs right we want to get them to self-actualization but at the very beginning we need to make sure all the basic needs are met to work our way up to a sense of belonging and sense of self-actualization and stuff but that is the type of stuff that is going to fall into treating them with every possible kindness and humanity. Like I want to make sure that they're as, as well taken care of as I possibly can. I want them to have every comfort they can, every piece of cool gear they can possibly have the best possible training. But I also want them to be the best team 
that's doing whatever we're doing. I want them to be successful. I want them to get accolades. I want them to promote. I want awards shotgunned across the entire <laughs> the entire work center. I want our unit. I want everybody to do really well. And in order for me to do that, in order for me to get those people to where they want to be, I'm going to need to push them. I'm going to need to set the standard high. I'm going to need to to discipline them at times. There's a lot of things that factor into that. And a lot of those things will make your make your people love you. And and so I think it's a it's a really interesting thing. Um, and, and I had a conversation I was doing my Cobb calls back when I, that was the thing I was working towards. Um, and I talked to a really, really great Cobb that is now a CMC. And he's the one of the only people I've ever seen in that job. And, and there's I've I've got to work for for one that's like this as well. But this guy, I just observed him while I was out on a boat doing an inspection. And then I got to go talk to him in his new job as a CMC. And he said something exactly like this to me. He said, you have to because he said something about like how you how you um, create the, a good culture in the chief's chief's mess. And I said, he talked about it in relation to the crew too. And I, I kind of came back around and said, but so the crew, I feel like I understand it. How do you do it in the chief's mess? Like, how do you make the chiefs love you? And he explained it to me in, in that kind of a way, like never, you can never be above anything. You can never, um, you have to make them understand that you care about these things, that the things you're telling them to do, that you're telling them are the priorities for the entire submarine those things you need to then follow through and and demonstrate to them that you care about right like if i say that cleanliness preservation and stowage are so so important going into these uh, this underway but then i'm never out there inspecting those things i'm never around when we're doing the cleaning when we're doing the preservation or when we're doing the stowage i'm never checking on the the quality of that work then the crew's going to pick up on the fact that I don't really care. It's just lip service. But if I'm down in a bilge cleaning during field day and I'm, I'm out there like at least checking on them, hanging out, bringing them a drink if I can, because you can't drink or eat in the engine room on submarines. <laughs> Thanks, EDMC. Um, the, the like just doing whatever I can to, to help those people out, like Dective, like they're they're needle gunning and and fixing the rust and the whatever and laying down non-skid and I show up with a bag of energy drinks or whatever and I'm passing them out and check, hey, how we doing? What's going on? This looks great, blah, blah, blah. You guys are killing it. Like, what do we got left? And then maybe I sit there and paint with them for a little while or something. Like, why not? And that's me demonstrating to them that I actually care about these things. And maybe I don't actually get into a bilge, even though I think that you should and I would if you can. And it does not, it's not always the move because you still have to supervise. But if you do it, and it's you're clearly down there doing it. It's not just like a like type of photo ops type stuff that gets made fun of on social media really hard. If you're really doing it, they're they're going to be able to tell like we talked about earlier. But uh, that stuff goes a long way in communicating to your sailors that you're the type of leader that deserves what that like the deserves them trusting and deserves them um deserves the the love and loyalty that that general clark's talking about it's to to treat them with every possible kindness and humanity and and then to what he talked about with the for the lieutenants is you should endeavor to gain the love of of your people that's going to take you much further than anything else will in my humble opinion <laughs> um so 
moving on, uh, it, the next one, the next paragraph is loyalty. And then the, the line I highlighted is pretty basic. It says loyalty to superiors and subordinates is a basic requirement. Uh, and then it goes on to, to talk about a little bit of, of, of other stuff. But loyalty is something that we spend quite a bit of time on during the chief season. And it's something that we spend time basically exploring the concept of like what loyalty is, what does it mean? And then I think almost more importantly, how it's exercised so that blind loyalty is always bad because you're eventually going to find yourself um, compromising your integrity and principles and, and doing something you shouldn't to be blindly loyal to a person that's taking advantage of you or an organization or whatever. But the loyalty is not just to superiors or to the organization or to policy or whatever, right? Loyalty to your subordinates, it kind of loops right back around to what we use our rank for, right? Which is to take care of our subordinates. So the loyalty to them is really important. Even when they screw up, loyalty is, I would, I would say that at that moment, it's probably it, the most important thing is that, and I really enjoyed this when I saw it, but this, this was a while ago where um, Jay Bell, who's a CMC that's all over social media, if you don't know, um, great dude. <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't know him personally. I've talked to him a little bit on Facebook, but like seems just like an incredible CMC. He posted a picture one day and I, 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 I was over the moon when I saw this because I've talked about it a bunch, but I've never seen it happen in real life. Not the way that this that this happened. So there is this sailor that something happened. I'm not sure it, it might have said, but I can't recall why he went to captain's mass. But he went to captain's mass and he was on restriction. From all like from the description that I read, it seemed that the sailor had not just done like not just like continued to work hard, but like had rebounded in a huge way while he was like following the captain's mast, but still during the restriction period and had done something. And I'm not sure again, it might've said, and I'm just forgetting, but he did something way above and beyond that merited recognition. So he's on restriction for something else, but the captain's mast happened. The accountability happened now, in my opinion, that sailor started with a clean slate. At, they're still paying for what they did, obviously, with the, the punishment is still happening when they're on restriction. But whatever that sailor did merited a spot name. And that's what happened. He's wearing in the picture. He's wearing a red restriction badge and a Navy Achievement Medal. And there was the, in the, you know, in the caption that he shared, he was basically talking on this concept of, look, one, like you screwed up. It happens. We're human. Accountability happened. Now that's over. Going forward, I'm going to be loyal to you as the leader that is charged with serving you with the rank that I've attained and make sure that when you, you do something that merits that type of recognition, regardless of the fact that you're wearing a red restriction badge, that it, that recognition is going to come, that I'm going to positively reinforce that, that behavior, that I'm going to be honest, fair and just in the evaluation of that performance, because I it's. When you don't do that, you're effectively just kicking them while they're down. You're just continuing that to punish them for a thing that they've already been held accountable for. And that's petty and childish and incorrect. It's bad leadership. It just is. Like, you can't do that. If you, We always talk about how we want to see a sailor recover after they slip up or whatever you want to call it, right? where they have 
a misstep. They have a human moment like their human is showing <laughs> and they go to mast or whatever, something, something to that effect, have a fail a PFA, whatever. We always talk about how we want to see them rebound, but what are we doing to exercise loyalty in that moment to help them rebound or at the very least recognize when they do instead of saying, oh, well, he just fixed this critical piece of underway limiting equipment, but we're not going to route a spot name for him because he just went to captain's mast. It's like, if you would have approved that award for a sailor that didn't go to a captain's ass, then that sailor should be getting an award too, because that accountability process already happened. It's over now, starting with a clean slate. If I, if he does the thing, then he needs to get recognized for it. And I really, it, it restored a lot of my faith in humanity when I saw that social media post. And that's what, that's what we're talking about here with loyalty to superiors is important. And I'm, I don't want to dive too far into that because I think I've spent a lot of time on that in the past, just the general concept of loyalty, what it means and how it's how it's exercised in leadership positions, but particularly to subordinates. It's a basic requirement that you do that at all times, even when it's hard. All right. Um, <laughs> Uh, all the junior sailors are going to laugh and cue in on this one. So to be kept informed and told the reason why <laughs> this is an old book. This was written a long time ago. Um, and I think it's hilarious when you hear people talk about all oh, these new kids, <laughs> like these, these millennials or these Gen Z kids or whatever, like they, all they do is ask why, like, why do they do are we are back in my day? which isn't true. I never asked why I just blindly followed orders. And <laughs> like, it's, it's, it never, that, that ridiculous argument never goes away, but I think it's incredibly just appropriate. And I made me really happy when I saw this line in a book, this old written by a general that, you know, like led men in combat. And I want to say world war two or Korea or both. Um, it's it because it flies in the face of the concept that it's it's kids these days are getting soft or whatever to be kept informed and told the reason why tell them the reasons behind decisions affecting them many jobs seem purposeless unless the facts behind them are known you should continually take action to offset rumors and speculation by giving your people all the information that you can and I've talked about this a bunch before, but trust them to understand. And yes, there are things you're not going to be able to tell them, but I can tell them enough that they're over a long period of time, they're going to understand and trust that I have their best interests at heart. And they're going to have faith that when I can't tell them everything, but I tell them, hey, this is important and we got to go, they're going to go. And then eventually, if I can tell them, go back and tell them the reason why I will. But whenever it is at all possible, you should be telling them the reasons behind the decisions affecting them, especially when it's something that seems ridiculous or like, why is this happening last minute? Why is it happening at all? It doesn't make any sense because like I was that guy when I was an E5. I thought my chief was a moron and I could do the job better and every decision he was making was stupid. And and it's like. If you take the time to explain, if you take the time to answer them when they ask why, 
because unless it's a crisis, unless it's we don't, I don't have time for this right now, but we'll do it later. If you spend a bunch of time in the in the moments that you can explain everything that's going on, where you can take the time to make them understand why we're doing it this thing at this time this way, then they're going to trust you more. And when the task seems purposeless or just ridiculous or difficult for for no reason, like we're making it harder than it needs to be. If you're that leader that takes the time to explain everything to them, they're going to trust you in a way that will allow for you to say, look, I just need you to do this right now. And I will I promise I will revisit the reasons why later. But right now we need to go and I need this done and they're going to go. I'm telling you, it'll happen. And then, yeah, you might hear some grumbling and groaning, but I, that job's going to get done because they trust that you have their best interests at heart and they trust that when you can, to the extent that you can, you're going to explain it to them later because you've demonstrated that over a period of time. You've, you've proven that. Really important that you, not just to be kept informed. So like the last minute changes to the plan of the day or the 1500 work list kind of crap that drives sailors nuts. Like they don't want to hurry up and wait. They don't want to have their time wasted by uh, just arbitrarily changing the plan and th- by not sharing information with them. And a lot of times, oh, well, it was in the plan of the day. You're required to read it. Like, okay, you just keep making excuses for being a bad leader. So you need to take the time to tell them. One of the best things that, that we had going was a text thread um, on top of we would do quarters and we would do like an end of the day wrap up and we would do the text thread and we would do whatever else and um, just to constant over and over again. Hey, make sure, don't forget, hey, we got to do this thing. And, and like we, we had the text thread saying the thing's coming up and then the next day, hey, it's tomorrow. And then this morning, hey, where's everybody at? You know, are you on your way? And just so that there was never an excuse for not knowing, you know, like there was, we just took the time to communicate well and communicate often um, so that they are well-informed, but also (laughs) that reason why got to do it. Uh, Next one. So we're talking about a well thought out program of training, work and recreation. I thought that was cool, but the, the line that I highlighted was keep a balance between training and recreation. Too much of either becomes a drag on on your people. So this one hit me because there's a lot of times where, and I I think everybody feels this, but especially on my last submarine, um, there was no balance between anything. All we did was train and work and and barely sleep. And a lot of it was self-inflicted through mismanagement of priorities and mismanagement of just time. Like just we didn't do a... A, a good job as a command of respecting sailors time creating a balance when we could and we could there was a lot of stuff like of all the the meat in our plan of the week i would say we can tr- we outright control at least half of it where we could move stuff around or just not do it or do it less frequently when we when we needed to to accommodate the balance to accommodate recreation to accommodate sailor sleep schedules to respect a little bit of that off watch time so they can pt or do whatever they want to do to de-stress because what i think what a lot of commanders and and leaders lose sight of is they think that they need to squeeze every last drop of training opportunity 
for all it's worth. Like you need to wring it all out of, of every available moment in the plan of the week. The problem with that is there's no balance. And when you get to a place where your sailors aren't sleeping or if all they can do is sleep and work, it's going to drive them nuts. You're going to run them ragged. Morale and, and engagement is going to go down. And that's when you see watch standing issues. That's when you see work controls violations. That's when you see people getting hurt. Like there's there's a really what feels obvious to me anyway, like really obvious correlation between the not balancing, the not valuing sailors needs outside of that the work piece like yes they do need training but they don't need training every minute of every day yes they do need to be great watch standers but that doesn't mean we need to devote every second of bandwidth to trying to accomplish that except really (laughs) if you achieve a balance where you respect some of that off time and let them recharge and let them refocus and de-stress and get good sleep you're going to achieve what you're going after anyway like so the so the as long as you have robust training but also there's a balance there and those sailors are able to sleep and able to um, de-stress in whatever way they find valuable those sailors are going to be better watchstanders they're going to be better technicians they're going to be better at all of the things that they do because they're going to be happy and balanced they're going to be well trained and well rested and that is the ideal sailor you could go pull any random group of enlisted sailors from any community and any service. And I'm telling you that if they're well rested, well fed and just de-stressed and ready to go and well-trained, but, and then I, but I think a lot of leadership gets hung up on the and well-trained like, well, they can't be well-trained if we don't spend all of the time on it. Well, you're wrong because they might be, well-trained like they might be knowledgeable but you're not going to get good performance you're just not they're not going to be engaged they're not going to care they're going to be tired and angry and stressed out and that is not going to translate into optimal optimal performance when it matters um demands commensurate with capabilities so neither too great or too small so what i highlighted here was a commander should not overload their people with unnecessary work (laughs) think collateral duties on the other hand letting people become bored because they are not working enough is just as bad neither people as individuals or units should be expected to accomplish impossible tasks so it, it kind of goes back and forth, right? It's like we want to keep sailors busy. And this is something my dad, who's a Vietnam veteran, he was on a destroyer in Vietnam. He would always say this about the, the Navy, like, hey, they got to keep you busy because otherwise, like idle hands, right? Like you're going to have time to complain and you're going to have time to find trouble. So like they want to keep you busy all the time, which and, and really just keep you busy enough to not... Um, get bored i mean like you go look on any of the meme sites on the internet and you'll find what happens when sailors get bored and it's not always good so um i mean it's usually hilarious if not if it doesn't cross the threshold into just bad so you don't want to overlay overload them with unnecessary work like we talked about just a second ago or with the balance right we don't and, and not just training which is not unnecessary but also just like superfluous administrative requirements just showing up to meetings or gathering group, large groups of people just because we need to like having people come into work just because having people stay to a certain hour 
just because it's well, it's what we do. You're getting paid. Like, well, what value their time? Find that balance. So we don't want them to uh, be overburdened with unnecessary work. Like, I don't want to just fill in your day with with garbage because you're going to know that it's not meaningful work, especially if I'm doing the aforementioned task of explaining the reason why and keeping you informed. But I also don't want them to I don't want my sailors to get bored because they're not working enough. Like that's why shipyard periods, you will see a spike in uh, DUIs, safety things, just like there's you'll see a spike in what you I mean, what you'd call like the accountability mechanisms like you'll see a spike in masts you'll see a spike in duis you'll see a spike in safety issues you'll see a spike in in like work controls violations and every everything else like you'll see a spike in sailors disengaging and sailors not taking things seriously and sailors um being bored and filling that time with partying or whatever and making bad decisions like you'll see a spike in bad decisions and during shipyard periods because a lot of the times it's just not as as taxing like the sailors have more downtime even if they're at work there's a lot of sitting around waiting for the shipyard people to do what they do or for a job to get opened or for a piece of test gear to show up or whatever so we don't want them to become bored either you got to keep them engaged you got to keep them doing something productive and meaningful that's going to fill their time with a, a positive function but I don't want to fill it with busy work that adds no value either. Uh, and then so n- units shouldn't be expected to accomplish impossible tasks. So I agree with it in that like you shouldn't push your your people to the breaking point and then try to just ask them to do something that's that's not practical. Like I, f- I found myself in a situation one time where um we had just done a bunch of really demanding complex evolutions while we we're on deployment. And then some requirement somebody was hiding in their pocket <laughs> that we had to run a, a security drill um, came up basically like before we got home. So we had a bunch of sailors running on very little sleep. They were run ragged. They were stressed. They were just over it. And we're talking about now running the security drill and everybody, like every chief and officer in the room, except for the commander thought it was a terrible idea. Like it's, it's, we can do it later. We'll address the requirement later. Like these sailors need sleep. We'll do it when we more, whatever, we'll figure it out. But now is not the time and it's like to the to the point where it felt dangerous like it felt like if the during the drill itself somebody didn't get hurt or something didn't go horribly wrong the watchstanders that are also not going to get sleep instead like it was it was just a really bad situation where pretty much universally everyone was opposed to it and we said as much and then we did it anyway and it was it was not good. Thankfully, we we got away with it, but it should have never happened. And I think when I hear impossible tasks, that's the kind of thing I think of because I also think of my time uh, in projects. It's like I <laughs> there were times where they said like, hey, this is the schedule. And I'm looking at it like that's impossible. I can't I can't get all the things I need done 
to like we would we would go on a deployment come back and we'd have a really short period of time to turn it around and go do it again really high op tempo and i mean when i first got there i was looking at i'm like this is impossible like you're nuts and then it turns out it's not impossible so it's like i also like i agree with it in the first case but in in other cases there are times where you're going to demand things of your people that's going to feel impossible or that they're going to think is impossible but it's also necessary and you find a way like you adapt and overcome so you know it i agree and respectfully disagree in certain circumstances um so moving on this gets into the combat commander it's just a second section in the in the um in the chapter but i highlighted some paragraphs in here that i really enjoyed so uh talking about positive leadership in relation to a commander so uh and they hit we're just talking about positive traits so the positive traits of a, the commander and of the soldier are acquired during training training in peace training in wartime before combat training during battle and by mental factors not easily described and then it lists those as desire to overcome the enemy, devotion to country and to organization and personal devotion to the commander. When a dis disciplined unit is spurred by the mental drives mentioned, it fights not only well, but brilliantly. I really liked that part because, and this is one of those like intentionally articulate things that in this book that I just really, really enjoy. So just talking about that it's different when we're training in peacetime training in wartime before combat training during battle and and that's a concept that i've kind of been thinking about recently where i've read some articles seen some things and just through personal experience of going and seeing all these different submarines through what i do for my job i i'm not super confident that we're focused on the right things to successfully like apply the tools we have to fight a war if it were to come i don't know that we're ready to go to battle i don't know that we're ready to fight hurt and to do the things we need to do to overcome the adversity that will be inherent in that environment and so i've thought about those things kind of a lot generally and a lot of it's related to the college courses i'm taking as well but i really liked and by the, the way where he's expressing and by the mental factors not easily described and then lists desire to overcome the enemy devotion to country and to organization and personal devotion to the commander those things are are they're hard to quantify but it's something that i've always kind of leaned on a little a little bit like and obviously i haven't i i, I mean I guess on paper I've been to war on my first deployment we launched some tomahawks but like it wasn't a shooting war where we were getting shot at or death charge or anything so um the when you're in an environment where um sailors are working really hard um where we're c conducting a lot of really stressful evolutions and training and, and just demanding a lot of them on deployment right you'll see sailors kind of get frustrated and stressed out and burnt out and you'll see a lot of the kind of grumbling about how they can't wait to get their dd 214 and they can't wait to get out of the navy or whatever um and just how much it sucks what i've noticed is that and, I, and i've used this analogy for is that hoo button exists in every single one of these people because the same sailors that are the loudest grumblers like the loudest uh 
dissenters during those times are the same people that as soon as they separate are wearing their dolphins on everything and like super prideful of their time and service and everything else. And not that they shouldn't be. They're just like they're less stressed now and only they kind of forget about more of the bad times and remember more of the good. But when he talks about the desire to overcome the enemy devotion to country and to organization and personal devotion to the leader, right? Which the, the last one is what we're talking about the most, because it's what you're going to have the most control over if you're doing all the things that you should be. But the, the sailors individual desire to overcome the enemy devotion to country and to the organization. Some of those things are dependent on your leadership and some of them are just inherent in a, in a, in a service member's, desire to serve and the decision that they made to be where they are right now that never goes away even when you're really frustrated and angry about your lot in life or how you're being treated or how your time's being wasted or how you didn't get any sleep or how you didn't you missed lunch or whatever those things still exist and so going back to the asking people to accomplish impossible tasks the desire to overcome the enemy and the devotion to your country and your commander and your organization are the things that you're going to leverage. And that's it's the button that you want to push to make that thing happen. And so you need to take time to cultivate that. I think it, and that's kind of I'm, I'm getting there. Stay with me. Like, that's why I think things like heritage are so important. Like and not because not just for the sake of 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 talking about it or remembering it, but the communicating the importance of what they're doing through that lens. It it conveys and attaches a level of importance and like a level of of reverence and awe. Like when you're telling a story of a of a naval hero that that you then understand is just like you like it, a submariner or a, or a sailor or a whoever that just did an incredible thing, but they're normal people prior to that event where they found whatever they needed to within them to accomplish an, a seemingly impossible task that then merited a medal of honor or a Navy cross or whatever. Those were just people doing the same job as you until they weren't right. Until they, until they, did that thing and they found that within them based on those like kind of hard to quantify mental traits or or like the that value system it is really really valuable to take time to build that to cultivate that devotion to the unit devotion to the to your uh, service and your career field and your community. Like we, the one thing I've always really valued about my time in the submarine service was how it as a service valued its, its heritage and valued like the importance of being good stewards of that. And I think it's something that you could really program into your daily leadership practices you're like just your fundamental interactions with your people that you're kind of cultivating the desire to overcome the enemy i feel like we should talk about that more i mentioned uh jason thompson's story about like how he wants war fighters man like and he wants to evaluate his sailors based on if i was going to go to war tomorrow who would i want to take with me 
And I don't disagree for the reasons that I mentioned earlier about if we get into a real shooting conflict as a naval service, right? Because like there's been a a bunch of armed conflict happening, but nobody's been shooting at those ships and submarines, man. But what if they did? Like, are we ready for that? Do we are we going to be able to effectively fight that that war? Like, I think we'd rise to the occasion eventually, but I think there'd be a high cost. And I think that we need to be thinking about it now. We need to be having those conversations now where we're cultivating these things in our people that if and when it did come, that you are not just the type of person that walks around the clipboard and writes numbers in boxes. You're not the type of sailor that only does these really basic things that only happen in peacetime. Like if it can't push came to shove, you could fight the ship. That's how we should be training. And that's how we should be communicating to our sailors. At the end of the day, our mission is to effectively exercise this implement of warfare. It's to put warheads on foreheads and iron on the bottom. And so that's what we should be communicating them and cultivating those things, the devotion to country and organization and personal devotion to the commander, which will come when you do that. When you take times to tell those stories, man, I'm telling you, like the the reason I named this podcast what I did was because of a monologue, basically, that my prior cob and a mentor to this day um, used to get on the 1MC and tell like stories, like historically based stories. Uh, and it was kind of like the don't give up ship thing was hit was his like sign off after that giant monologue that just gets you all amped to go do the thing <laughs> talking about the incredible warship that we were charged with with bringing to life and and fighting at sea you know and, and in places that we can't talk about and doing things that'll never be mentioned and like how he, he would like describe the engineering characteristics and the awesome firepower and the the capabilities and then he would say that the the ship itself was a national asset but that the sailors manning her were national treasures it was it was awesome and like you had to be there like i'm not doing the best job but like it was awesome you you were never not pumped when when that was over um and that's what i'm talking about and 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 he was pretty universally loved and and there was a lot of loyalty there so it's just it's a demonstration of that concept in in real life so next he's talking about success in combat uh, and it's he says it's largely due to endurance on the battlefield the day after uh, day strain of living in dirt going without sleep and food uh, and the constant threat of death will cause the man who is physically or mentally weak to quit and the best part of this line that I highlighted was fatigue makes cowards men in good physical condition are the last to tire so when we're talking about sailors and I I always think of it through the lens of submarining so forgive me but I think it kind of applies to most sailors that are at least like on ships and squadrons and stuff like that as well is the fatigue making cowards piece is like more and I mean if we were in a shooting war that would apply but the, the Fatigue is going to make an ineffective warfighter. And I'm saying warfighter as in like just the sailor manning the ship doing the thing, right? Like you're not going to be on a rifle pulling the trigger. You're going to be in the control room of a submarine maneuvering the ship into the position to shoot a torpedo or whatever we're doing. So if I'm 
constantly fatigued for all the reasons we talked about earlier with not having the balance and making sure that their time is valued and that you're doing all the things to make sure that all their needs are met. The fatigue is going to make you combat ineffective. Interestingly, kind of hand in hand with that, uh, the next one is unit morale. And he, he's mentioning it in this kind of in the same breath as the fatigue concepts where uh, one of the sentences I highlighted. So the commander can overcome much of the strain and strengthen the mental endurance of his people by teaching them in advance what to expect. This one I, I really liked um, based on just that my time on submarines. It's if you the more you talk about what's to come. It's kind of, I had an old, uh, an old chief that used to say, um, basically if you like, if you, and, and I'm not going to use the exact words cause it's not quite appropriate, but basically like if you let everybody know that there's a punch in the face coming and you talk about the punch in the face and you let them know, yeah, punches in the face hurt. And, but sometimes it's going to happen and this is what to expect when it happens. And then afterwards, this is how you recover from it and how we move forward. When the punch in the face comes, it's not going to wreck everything. It's not going to destroy all your plans. It's not going to completely take everybody off of their game. It's going to put a, like a, a chink in it. It's definitely not going to be fun. It never is. It's not going to help generally. <laughs> it's not going to be a good thing except for, you know, you heal up, you have scars, but there's lessons learned that come along with those scars. Like you get better from it from dealing with that adversity but when it comes you can overcome the punch in the face by letting everybody know what to expect it's not it's it sucks when it's happening but at least i know what to do and that's one of the things the entire time about on submarines that i've marveled at is like when something goes horribly wrong the vast majority of the time the people on board are so well trained that what you see happen when some piece of equipment bursts into flames or, uh, you know, hydraulic fluid starts spraying from somewhere it's not supposed to or whatever, what, gen what you generally see happen is sailors just start reacting. There's not panic. There's not chaos. There is very disciplined reaction based on training. They know what to expect when that piece of gear bursts into flames because we drill on it all the time so whenever any piece of gear bursts into flames they know exactly what to do and, and you get conditioned to expect a certain a certain thing and it's almost comforting it's weird right where like when somebody picks up a 4mc and calls away a fire so that for those that aren't on ships or submarines or whatever it's a it's a like an emergency phone it's just like the bat phone like it's a red phone on the wall you pick it up you actuate the switch and then you make a standard damage control report where you're just alerting everybody that there is an emergency and then what you hear next is over the one mc somebody's calling away the casualty letting everybody know where it is what it is how bad it is what the kind of response is required and then they'll sound an alarm and so all these things happen and then they repeat the report again so all these things happen um during fires you'll hear them direct the fire teams where to go right so like all these things happen every single time we do these drills so as a real casualty is happening you see sailors responding kind of like it's just a thing that we like oh yeah i know what this is it's a fire 
okay, so now I'm going to go here. I'm going to do this. I'm going to grab. And yes, there's adrenaline and yet, yeah, but it's, it's more of like a, a controlled, like, I don't, I don't want excitement is kind of probably the wrong word where it's, you just, you, you're, your heart rate's definitely up and you're you're definitely more keyed up than you are for for, for just drills because you know those are just drills but you're still doing the same thing and you're doing it as if you've practiced it you do it with discipline where you you're you're not going to lose your cool you're not going to freak out there's not chaos because you just know what to do like your hands just start moving your feet just start moving you just start doing things um, and that's one of the things I've always marveled at is if you know what to expect when that punch in the face comes, you just react to it. You deal with it. Yeah, it sucks. It hurts, whatever. But we're going to overcome that adversity because I, I've seen this before. I know what this is. It's not shocking. It's not surprising. Like, I know what this is. I know how to deal with it. And you'll see your unit overcome that adversity because they knew what to expect because you properly prepared them for it. Um, another one so morale must be high enough to stand the shock right so and it's 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 really great that he's using the word morale and not training so morale must be high enough to stand the shock and the boredom of uh and it says combat but i'm you know adversity whatever right like and and again it's not i don't want to completely delete the word combat even though i'm using an army book from a different time because i really do believe in our lifetime <laughs> our sea service will see actual combat and I, it scares the crap out of me because we don't think about things through this lens but it's a very real thing that could come uh, and I'll, I'll do a book based on some of that like world war ii combat for like surface combatants and submarines at some point but um every person must strongly believe that what they're doing is right they must have a supreme confidence that they can deal with any situation, that they're a better fighter than the enemy. This is I, I like there's a lot here. So I, I first of all, the word morale being used instead of training for me is incredibly important because we spend a lot of time training ourselves and and administratively burdening ourselves into low morale like they, we just. I don't know what it is like I know it comes from a good place in in a way I just think it was allowed to get out of control and I think a lot of that relates to like the peacetime military kind of losing sight of what's the real priority should be but and, that, and that's a really broad concept and there's a lot I would need to explain that would probably be a whole nother podcast to really fully flesh out that point but what I'm saying is there's a, a ton of things that we do in the in present day Navy or present day military that result in low unit morale. And there are commanders out there that have found ways to work around this within the scope of, of their like authority uh, where they just kind of manage the requirements in ways that it doesn't completely destroy morale. Um, and then there's some stuff that the commander has the authority to just say, yeah, I'm not doing that. And that's great when they do do that and it, it like it, when the situation is appropriate to filter out some of that undue strain on a unit where it's just like there's so much crap that we do that and then we get like wound up about that isn't really that important. And uh, talking to Chief Bob a while back, 
he relayed a story to me and it I, the context isn't really important but they were in a meeting that was could have been an email and they were both kind of just frustrated and looking at each other and uh, a buddy of his just has this saying when things get really ridiculous like that when they're when they're in the midst of basically feeling like as Earp previously mentioned right that their time isn't being valued that they're doing a thing that's just wasting time and they could be elsewhere doing other things to take care of their sailors and to take care of themselves and he he jokes that uh you know what we need right now we need a real good war because and what he means by that is because the the entire purpose like the manifest destiny of the the armed forces of which the navy is a part is to um as as nick says kill people and break their stuff like our job is to prosecute a war against an enemy which is you know like combat like that's what and when you get into actually doing something like that and even you'll you see a kind of like a mini version of this happen when you're going out on deployment like all of a sudden there's a whole bunch of stuff that doesn't matter anymore but when you're in port it's like a crisis it's this liberty dependent item and everybody's freaking out about and the the common joke on like you'll see memes all over the place about verifying your nfast like it's the end of the world and it's just like stuff things like that well i understand the purpose of it it's look i put data in there like do i really need to verify it every six months like i could just do this when i pcs and they're like yeah i get it if it changes and blah 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 like it it's not like it's unimportant but every everything can't be the most important thing or or nothing's the most important thing and so it's like you you would find that when things are really serious and when you have to go out there and do the thing and i like i can't say I mean, the closest thing to war was on my first submarine. We launched Tomahawks um, during a war. But I mean, we weren't getting shot at. We weren't in danger besides the ocean trying to kill us at all times, which is just submarines. Um, but like the the special job that I did, it's kind of like we went and did some things that were really important. And what you saw happen when we were out there operating was all of the other stuff was yeah we'll get to that later it's suddenly unimportant like not that we don't want to do a career development board on you but it's now's not the time (laughs) and so there's just certain things that um we do that just drain the life force out of everybody or the morale if you will and when morale gets low and this is one of the things that I've, I've had conversations with other leaders and it's like they don't believe me and when I saw this entry in this book I was like celebrating because I was like I like this is what I'm talking about it's like you can train and train and train and train and train and you can do all the admin stuff and you can do all of the planning and you can do all the meetings and whatever else that you're going to do. And they're not all bad. But if you do it to the point that it chokes the morale out of your people, when it's time to execute, when it's time to do the thing you've been training to do, it's not going to happen the way that you expected it to. You are not going to get peak performance out of those people. You're just not. They the morale thing is important. And it's one of the things that I feel like gets overlooked the most by people in command positions or like triad style leadership positions like those people understand that there's all these mission requirements that have to happen and they have to be executed. But instead of 
managing their team in a way that they balance both training preparation and everything else that they have to do with morale so that they have a really well-rested, well-prepared, happy, motivated, disciplined crew, then you're like, you're going to get peak performance out of those people. But instead, what we commonly see happen more often than not is, and again, not all because it's toxic leadership, even though that's, that sometimes is it, as we see on the cover of the Navy Times all the time. But it's, it's like kind of like they the only way they know how to do it, almost like they've been brought up in a system that's institutionalized them or something, or they just don't have the skills and the understanding to be like, oh, no, I really can do both. And not only I can, I need to, I should be. It's critical to mission success that you have that esprit de corps in your unit so that uh, and, the, and the next paragraph is every person must feel that their unit is a superb fighting outfit and that they, like the rest, will sacrifice even life itself for the unit. The spirit is often the difference between mediocre and superior armies. It was strong in the Roman legions and the French troops under Napoleon. So he's he's giving that example and he says only deep personal conviction springing from identification with a cause will drive a person forward when his unit is destroyed or scattered. And that's what I'm talking about. And I think it was Admiral Richardson that was talking about like toughness as some as like a, a pillar of of like what. Well, and I forget they're called like the four uh, somethings. I forget. It, I did it in one of the trades before and I already forgot. But it's like uh, like it's core tenants or something like that, um, where fighting hurt is a thing we're going to have to do at some point. And like he just said, the only way that we're going to do that successfully is if the personnel as a part of that unit actually believe in what they're doing in the cause and only a deep personal conviction springing from identification with a cause will drive a person forward when their unit is destroyed or scattered. So we need to spend actual time on that. And part of that, a big part of that is the morale building that you do. Like part of the reason I get so wound up about heritage is I feel like that's one of the best ways. It's not the only way, but one of the best ways to to build a deep personal conviction springing from identification with a cause like you, you get to share stories and, and the importance of about incredible people doing exceptional things in, in the moments that they found themselves in or like battles or, or just stories in general, like anything where it's like you're a part of this story and I want you to identify with that cause. I want you to have a deep personal conviction in your identification with that cause so that when the time comes, you understand the importance of you understand how. And, and this doesn't have to just be when you're getting like shot at where in this metaphorical war that I keep talking about. It's it's in the daily grind where it's like it, when you're a chief or an LPO and you're out there just like every day you're you're spending and spending of yourself and your time and your energy on all the things that you need to do to take care of your sailors the only way that you have the discipline and conviction to continue doing that when you're continually just getting beat down is by having a deep personal conviction springing from identification with a cause and that cause is leading sailors and taking care of them and making sure they have everything that they need to get the job done when things start falling apart, when we're getting punched in the face. 
that's it's it's the only way it's the only way that it gets done and and that building of morale and taking care of the the person the sailor that doesn't just i I talk about it primarily from the the perspective of like a chief or a higher level leader of some sort like down but those leaders they they need that type of attention and care too and and i'll get to it a little bit later but i talk about that a a a bit later on i'm going to start wrapping this one up and part two we'll, we'll cover the rest but the last thing I'm going to speak on is personal example is um, and it's simple. It's the lead by example concept. I've, I've mentioned so many times where the first line is the commander should be a model soldier or in this case, sailor for most of you. <laughs> I know I got some guardsmen and some other people listening, but the commander should be a model soldier above all set the proper example. And that's a, a thing that I've spent a lot of time on on this podcast, but just knowing that they're always watching and that part of the way that you're going to build that disciplined unit that's well-trained and also has high morale is by showing them the way there's a lot of people out there that think that that they've traveled far enough down the leadership effort (laughs) um spectrum that like they've they've exerted enough effort by just saying it and it you that's not enough you can't do it it just doesn't show them anything. And, and there are times where it's not going to be possible or even appropriate to get down in a bilge and clean if you're the commanding officer of an aircraft carrier. However, I would contend that you could make time once in a while to do that or your XO could or the department heads could or whoever the CMC and do it without a, a camera crew behind you. Because like we've seen some of that on social media and I've kind of I've shared it and kind of said, hey, that's pretty cool because I like I get what they're trying to accomplish. And it was probably a ham handed attempt at bridging that gap. And the pictures were what they thought would kind of like help spread the uh, hey, look, I'll do this. I'll stand watch with a with Kevlar and a, and a rifle, even though um, a lot of people destroyed him for that. And there's some other other an admiral running a fire drill and an FFE and an SCBA like I get that that it was discredited and the reasons why it was discredited by a lot of people that were kind of a little just just not willing to believe it and kind of skeptical of it uh, because of the cameras right where it's, it's like a CO on a ship. It's like your audience is the crew of that ship. You don't need it to be on dvids or whatever or like on navy.mil or any of these other like facebook pages or whatever we don't need the rest of the world to know that you did it and it immediately steals credibility when there's a camera there like it's like oh you're just doing this for like to make yourself like look at me i'm i'm one of the people like you can't you're gonna just immediately lose all your credibility by doing that where it's like just get down in the bilge and clean you don't need to make it a publicity stunt. Just get down there and do it. And it'll buy you so much goodwill. Like they will tell that story forever. If you do it and you do it from a genuine place and there's not like a any any way to discredit it, like there's not like, oh, he just did it for the pictures. It's like if you just go down there and you're interacting with the crew and coking and joking a little bit and just like kind of getting to know them a little bit and the full bird captain is down there cleaning or painting or whatever 
and you don't go run off and tell the whole world um, that, oh, look at me. I, I painted a, a, <laughs> a bulkhead today. Like it's that kind of because the sailors, like I've mentioned before, they're just going to know they're going to know if you're authentic about it or not. And if you take some time to do those things or and and even the little things like taking the time there. Are, <laughs> God bless you all. There's a lot of officers out there that can't maintain a uniform to save their life. And it's not that they don't know how they're just not putting in the effort and apparently don't think that it's important. And it's not everybody. I'm not, you know, but there's a lot out there. And I mean, for the devil's advocate, there's a lot of chiefs out there that can't wear the uniform right either. Um, And you're supposed to be an example, right? You're supposed to be leading by example and you immediately are going to even even if the sailors you're talking to are a hot mess in their uniform, they're not going to take anything you're saying seriously because you're not maintaining their uniform. And while that might seem hypocritical, they're the junior. You're the senior. Their uniform looks like it does because your uniform looks like it does. So lead by example. Set the proper example. You must be a model sailor. That's like a starting point to build any credibility or trust. If you walk in there like squeaky clean, boots are shine, blah, blah, blah. But you're also... And this is the key here because a lot of people will just take shots at you because you don't do any work because your uniform looks like that. If you're also willing to get dirty and grimy and get down in there with them once in a while and let them know that you're not above anything. And that's like I the, the analogies I always use is like during sto- during stores loads like, yeah, I'm the chief and I have to go to meetings and I have to do planning and I do a lot of admin and all this other crap. But during stores loads, my shiny boots were covered in flour and dirt and scuffed up and all that other crap because I was humping food with my guys. I was working with them because that was the best expenditure of my time to take care of them was to help them get all this food down and stowed. And yes, I was supervising and running up and down ladders to coordinate this and coordinate that and tell people to go here and go there and whatever all towards that end. But there was large portions of time where I was just stowing food like I was an E3 because it was the best way to help my people. And but then the next day, even though I got very little sleep and I had to be in in the morning and they and even though they didn't come until the evening, my boots were shined. My uniform was pressed like I was ready to go just like I was going to like all I was going to do was was go to meetings and stuff, knowing full well that I was going to wreck them again. And then, you know, what I mean, and it's not there's something about that that communicates the credibility that you need to start building trust and then through that trust be the person that can be a steward of good morale through balancing all those yeah like it's it's all connected and uh setting the proper example even in the little things right even in the in the um not wearing sunglasses in a formation or not having your hands in your pockets or not doing this that or the other thing it's like look i get it how big of of a deal are some of those things in the grand scheme of things? I'm just pointing out little things. Um, if, if you're consistently being an exemplar of all those standards to the maximum extent possible, you're going to be the person that they look to. And if you take care of them and demonstrate to them that you're authentic and that you care and that you're not above anything and that you'll be right in there with them if, if need be, it's just going to continually build trust. It's going to continually create the rapport that you need to build the morale and esprit de corps that you need to have a successful unit. And yes, you need discipline and training and all those other things. But there's got to be a balance because otherwise 
you're kind of wasting your time in a way because yes, there we've got a lot of training in. However, when it comes time to do the thing, if they're exhausted and they don't have a deep personal conviction and they don't have some like really deep connection to the cause, you're not going to get the response that you desire. You're going to see people fall apart under pressure. And that, obviously we can't have that because the, the mission has got to get accomplished. Um, with that, I'm going to I'm going to stitch this one up. That was most of chapter one. It's a pretty small book and I'm just talking a lot, but uh, we're already past 90 minutes. So I'm going to I'm going to cut this one off here uh, and I will continue this book. I will probably do a lot of other books that it'll it'll they'll be part pieced up like this just because it's going to it's going to get long. Um, but this I like I really enjoy doing this. This is fun. Uh, I learn something by having to digest these books. It forces me to read more, which I, I'm excited about because I w- I've wanted to read more for a while. And now I'm just creating a <laughs> like a need to do it, um, which is awesome. And uh, I'm interested, as always, to hear from you all if this is something you like. I know, like I said, this is something that I'm doing because I've gotten feedback on, hey, you should try doing something like this. But also um, for all the listeners that weren't those handful of people like let me know what you think let me know if you enjoyed this if there's books you want me to cover uh anything like that always open to any feedback and then if you need anything from us or got any questions comments or concerns hit us up don't give up the ship podcast at gmail.com you can facebook message message us don't give up the ship podcast or dm me on instagram or reddit uh this episode will be posted there i've been a little lazy about putting some of the episodes on reddit recently i've been running around like an idiot um just a lot of stuff going on as i prepare to retire and or uh some other things they it could get complicated coming up here so i'm trying to do all that and go to college and do this so um but yeah just hit us up if you need anything at all ever uh if you want to support us do you guys podcast.com slash shop still got some stickers shirts all that other stuff um there's a donate button on the website as well uh that i don't think i've ever really put out there but it's only if you want to all of it is used to pay like all the subscription fees for the website for soundcloud for all the all the things that are associated with maintaining the podcast platform uh, it's not a for-profit thing at all and if it ever changes i will let you know because um, there i am building a for-profit enterprise right now that's uh i will share with you when i am ready <laughs> but it's it's related to but separate from the podcast so i'll put that all out soon when i'm when i'm ready to do that it's getting there uh, i've gotten a lot of work done on it lately um and that's it that's what i got for you today thank you so much for listening and don't give up the ship <laughs> <laughs>